Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Right now, Arizona quarterback Kyler Murray is football's Allen Iverson. You might hear that analogy as high praise. It's not. It's recognition of Murray's dynamic skill, diminutive size, and uncanny ability to answer the problems he creates for the Arizona Cardinals. He's a human highlight reel who will never win a title. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday uh, to you and yours. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I had a great weekend. I was with my brother and nephew in Cincinnati. We went to Kings Island. Uh, you know what? Now that I think about it, now that I went to Kings Island, I'm rethinking. I did not have a great weekend. <laughs> I, I actually... I ate poorly this weekend. I need to confess that. I need to put that into the record. Kings Island was not good to me. I started with some sort of uh, Mexican bowl with carnita and chicken and cheese and sour cream. Ended up having some kind of chips and salsa. <sighs> then my brother, uh, well, oh, let's go to a steakhouse tonight. We went to some place called Tony's. Had the filet and mushrooms. I did not, but anyway, that's the most I've eaten uh, in more than a year. It was not good. And then on the drive back, I had potato chips for the first time in more than a year. And so I'm ashamed of myself for what I did this weekend. I've beaten myself up about it all uh, weekend. Anywho, I'm back. I hope you had a better weekend than I did eating. Uh, it's already off to a great start because uh, TJ Moe is in town and in studio with me, I believe today, tomorrow and Wednesday as well, TJ. I'll be here. Yeah, for three straight days, TJ Moe, uh, the show me kid right here in studio. We're going to talk some football today. Steve Kim's going to join us. Uh, last chance, you, uh, Jason Brown, he's going to be here to help us talk some NFL football. And then... Uh, let me warn you guys, I'm going to put the show House of Dragons to bed. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to Lauren Chin, Jill Savage, Tiffany Odom. It's going to be a very tearful uh, goodbye. They'll be back, but they just won't be talking House of Dragons. Uh, we're going to say good. I'm going to do a eulogy of House of Dragons. I'm tired of the show. I hate the show, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, we're going to start out by talking NFL football. Uh, the NFL is off to a very uh, strategic and calculated and exciting start uh, to the season. We'll do that with Steve Kim and, uh, and uh, Jason Brown. We'll start with Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, let's roll out to Los Angeles and welcome in the Korean Cosell. And, and Steve, I want to start here with you and TJ. Uh, and this may take me 90 seconds to set up. I, I apologize. But uh, my takeaway from the most exciting game of the year so far. 
The Miami Dolphins rallied to knock off the Baltimore Ravens. My takeaway is kind of unique. Uh, a lot, and we will talk about Tua and what it means for him. We'll talk about Lamar Jackson and how brilliant he looked. But I watched that game, and my initial thoughts were like, oh, the Dolphins are putting a clown suit on Brian Flores. Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, had a plan that he was trying to execute. We're not worried about winning right now. We got this young quarterback that we believe in, Tua Tungwaola, and, and we're going to put the pieces in place this year around Tua, and we're going to go for it. And they went out and got Tyreek Hill. And, and because Brian Flores wouldn't hop on board, they went out and got an uh, offensive-minded head coach in Mike McDaniel who can exploit Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and the Dolphins, uh, based off of what we've seen the first two weeks, they beat the Patriots. Turns out that's a decent victory. The Patriots beat the Steelers the other day. And now they come right back. And on a day when Lamar Jackson looks like one of the greatest weapons in the history of the NFL, uh, Tua rallies his team. Weren't they down like 21 points? 20? Yeah, three yes. touchdowns. He rallies his team, and they win a marvelous, spectacular, outstanding, exciting football game. And my takeaway was Brian Flores, clown suit. This guy, they had a plan they were trying to execute. And if you guys remember, the word, the reporting is Brian Flores, not big on Tua, not a, a supporter of Tua. And that was the, the friction between Brian Flores and Chris Greer, the general manager, who I might add, the black general manager of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that was part of the friction between those two. And right now, two weeks into this season, Chris Greer, the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, Mike McDaniel, these guys look pretty prophetic and right on the mark. I, I, I don't – who knows if Tua can sustain this, but I like the plan the Dolphins have put together. Uh, and, and I think it's a bad look for Brian Flores. Uh, Steve, we'll start with you and then TJ hop in. Am I wrong for uh, – Jumping to that conclusion that part of the takeaway from that game is that, like, Brian Flores, maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Well, first of all, good money to both you guys. And, yes, and look, there is a caveat. Tyree Kill matters. Uh, players matter. And he was not there last year. And, obviously, uh, he makes a difference. It looks like he's going to have a monster year statistically. With that said, early on, we're only in the early stages of this long marathon called the National Football League season, which is now 17 weeks to go. But, yeah, I think you make a really valid point. Look, when you draft a quarterback the way you did at number five, I believe, the way the Miami Dolphins did, that's your way of saying for the next 12 to 15 years, you're our quarterback. So with that said, there has to be an alignment of quarterback slash player, coaching, and then system – and then all the way down, you got to have a belief system that's all in sync with one another. And it's obvious early on that with Brian Flores, he simply did not believe in Tua. And he didn't seem to run a system that's going to really suit his strengths. Look, Tua still has limitations in terms of overall arm strength and really hitting the deep ball. There were still some underthrows. But with that said, 
They do a great job, Mike McDaniel does, of scheming things up with that outside zone and then setting up play action in very favorable situations where that track team outside could just run free in very, very big areas. So right now you'd have to say, are the Dolphins vindicated after two weeks of the 2022 season in making the switch? I think it's unbelievable, unequivocal, yes. Yes, they did. They made the right move, Jason. Nobody's going to put a clown suit on Brian Flores like Brian Flores. He did that to himself. So I don't think anybody is now furthering that any more than he already did. However, Flores was 4-2 and two against the Patriots. So their week one victory against the Patriots, Flores had done pretty well against them too. Flores and Tua, either they didn't get along or he didn't love his arms. I, I think you have this issue with defensive coordinators. They need quarterbacks and offensive guys to sort of run their thing while they do the defense. Mm. Mike McDaniel's an offensive coordinator. They came in and they said, we need you to develop this guy. Flores wasn't going to develop to it. He needed, this, is, this was his big mistake from the jump. He should have went and got Tom Brady when he had the opportunity mm. because that's the guy that could have run the offense for him. He could have run the defense. Tom Brady could have run the offense. He went and got a rookie that he couldn't develop, had no business trying to develop, and said, well, he's my problem. I need a guy that's established. So it was never going to work. Like that, I, I like that argument, but and you're right, he objected or wouldn't get on board with the pursuit of Tom Brady because he thought it was unethical or whatever, and, and according to the NFL rules it is, but you know, to some degree if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And so you're right, Tom Brady could have been a solution for Brian Flores, and, and you're right that defensive coaches a lot of times uh, want to turn the offense over to the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. And, and, and leave it alone, but what, what, what I don't like or what I'm being critical of is they had a plan that, again, Brian Flores wants to come in with a lot of ego and Stephen Ross and, and Chris Greer, Brian Flores, no different than Charlie Weiss. Uh, we've seen people come off this Bill Belichick tree and, and think, well, I'm just Scott Pioli, who was the general manager of the uh, New England Patriots or had some kind of title with New England. I've seen people come off that Bill Belichick tree and think, I'm baby Bill Belichick. <laughs> or I, I was as big a part of the success there as anybody other than Belichick, and I can do exactly what Belichick does, and I'm going to operate the way Belichick does. I saw Scott Pioli bring his ego to Kansas City and, and, and his all, all that we accomplished in New England, and no one can question him. And I can remember Scott Pioli took all of us out to the media, out to a dinner, and yelled, at, when he first got there, yelled and screamed at everybody. And, and, and this is like what cracks me <laughs> up with people that don't have an understanding and certainly don't know my history or whatever, but you know, anybody can get it from me. And Scott Pioli got it to his face. He's called, I'm like, man, who the hell you think you're talking to? This is a bunch of grown men in this room. Uh, and we <laughs> went at it from day one. I started calling him Scott E. Goley in Kansas City. And I, 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 I murdered this dude for two or three years. And people, the whole time I was killing him, people in Kansas, oh, man, you're being too hard on Scott Pioli, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's just no... And then as I was proven right, people started sending me apologies and, uh, well, you saw it before anybody else. And I, was, I tried to tell y'all, 
Charlie Weiss, we saw him go to Notre Dame and mm -hmm. talk about how brilliant he, Brian Flores in the same way, we've seen a lot of these people get off of Bill Belichick's ample tits and, and, and all of a sudden they think, uh, you know, I'm the smartest guy in the room just like Bill Belichick. And that's what I think happened here with Brian Flores. The Dolphins actually had a winning formula in game plan. Tua may not be the strongest arm quarterback in the league, but if you've met this kid, and I have, he's a great young man. He's someone that's going to be a student of the game. He's going to be very, very coachable. And so they're like, man, we got the all we got to do is put the right pieces around him. Well, that's the thing, right? Because they went and got what he had at Alabama. At Alabama, he had the four best wide receivers in the country all on the same roster. They actually brought Jalen Waddell to the team, and now they went and got Tyreek Hill, the Blazers that can, to some degree, make up for his lack of arm strength. But they didn't have that under Brian Flores. Again, don't think Brian Flores knew what to do with it, and so it wasn't going to work anyway, but they didn't have it. Didn't have it, but if Brian, Flo if they're sitting there saying, hey, man, just, just be patient. We're going to get the right pieces. And Brian Flores is like, well, it won't matter to, you know, I don't like Tua. They're like, with the right pieces. And again, there's so much separate. There's a couple of passes that uh, Tua threw to Tyreek Hill. There was so much separation. I could have hit it. Mm -hmm. I could have hit those <laughs> passes. Anyway, uh, Steve, I'll, well, I'll give yeah. you a final thought on uh, Brian Flores. Then we'll switch to a more specific conversation on Tua. I'll be I'll be honest with you. When it comes to to Belichick, I would never hire anyone from under that tree because it turns out that tree. What's the secret to it? It's Bill Belichick. He's the roots. He's the bark. <laughs> he's the branch. He's the leaves. Uh, even Josh McDaniel, who I think was ready to have another coaching job, I'm looking at the Las Vegas Raiders, and I'm thinking the autumn wind ain't blowing. I, I mean, they are now 0-2 on the verge of losing this season. And, again, Tom Brady means a lot, too. When it comes to the Dolphins, and TJ mentioned this about the track team outside, look, in that system with Mike McDaniel that Shanahan runs, it's a lot of that outside zone, a lot of eye candy. They just have to run the ball well enough to get certain looks in that back end of the defense. And then the most underrated player is Gasecki, the tight end, who's really good. So they can attack you at every single level. But going back to Flores, I can't remember, and I'm too young for this, but when Terry Bradshaw was drafted number one, he had a lot of struggles, and Chuck Nolan him battled for about a decade while they won four Super Bowls. I can't remember the last time, guys, I saw a top five quarterback that was drafted. And so early on, the head coach is just browbeating him. And my point is, Flores, you got to read the room. That quarterback is going to have a large say in how your tenure goes and how much money you make and how many games you win. I would think at least in the first contract, you got to nurture this guy. You got to support this guy. You got to make things easier for him. And everything that has been reported, and again, I'm just going to go off of that, it seemed like he was against him from day one. And I thought that was incredibly unfair to Tua. And that's why a lot of teams lean into these offensive minded coaches. I start thinking about Dick Vermeil and what he did with <clears throat> Kurt Warner. And yes. Trent Green. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. neither one of those guys, particularly Trent Green, not a super talented guy. But the energy, the positive energy Dick Vermeil put into Trent Green made him a very effective quarterback in Kansas City. They put pieces around him, one of the best offensive lines that no one ever talks about between Willie Rope, Brian Waters, and Will Shields. 
two of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Brian Waters is good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. They had Priest Holmes in the backfield. Tony Gonzalez for a time. They had, anyway, they made Trent Green through proper personnel and belief a great quarterback, which kind of leads into my next question about is Tua the real deal? He's off to a great start to this season, but do we believe he's the real deal? TJ, you go first. Well, define real deal for me. Is that a top seven quarterback? Is it a top The Dolphins quarterback for the next 10 years. Depends on the pieces around him. Because he's not good enough to stand alone. He's going to need blazers to make up for that arm strength. I think he's accurate. There are some other quirks, too. He's left-handed. There's not that many left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not that tall. I like there are some things about him. Good kid. will learn the offense. I don't think he's a guy that's going to stand alone. If, if, if you had to predict, though. Will he be the Dolphins quarterback for the next 10 years? No. Uh, Steve Kim, will he be the Dolphins quarterback the next 10 years? I tend to agree with TJ because if Tyreek Hill blows out a hamstring, that offense looks much different. And then all of a sudden defenses can start to sit down on certain things. Look, do I believe that there's a perfect melding of Tua as the quarterback, Mike McDaniel as the offensive coordinator slash head coach, and the surrounding cast? Yes. But – Let's just put it this way. All things being equal, do you really think he has the physical upside or the capability of Justin Herbert? I think, again, putting aside the emotion of what happened 24 hours ago, I would say that answer is no. Look, I like Tua. I think he's very effective with parts. His job in many ways is just to be that point guard. But again, all things being equal, do we really see the physical upside of, let's say, him against Josh Allen? or the pure arm talent over an Aaron Rodgers, or the overall intangibles and leadership of a Tom Brady. Again, let's let's not make too much out of this. Let's see where we are in late October, November, as the league gets more of a look at this new offense. Success breeds confidence. This is an old chicken and egg deal. And by putting these pieces around him, Mike McDaniel, the speedy receivers, eventually that success can take on a life of its own and, and it's no different than the bubble, the cocoon Tom Brady lived in in, in uh, New England. If he's in a different organization, they don't have that defense and all the championships and winning early on, does Tom Brady become who he became? If they don't in 2000, was it 2007 they put Randy Moss on the team? Yep. And, and, and the next thing you know, Tom Brady starts throwing the ball like he's Peyton Manning and he becomes a different quarterback. A, a year or two of what's going on right now with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. if he gets a year or two into that and has that kind of success, then, then I think you just never know who Tua Tungwaola might may turn out to be. I, I, I think there is a chance he could be their quarterback for the next 10 years. There is a chance. Let's not forget his injury history. He has been injured since the day he stepped on campus at Alabama. Even before, in the spring, he broke his finger and missed a bunch of time. Tweaked his knee, had several sprains, broke his hip, had to be carried off the field, has had ankle injuries his entire career. Uh, I think last year was one of the first years that he was relatively injury-free. This is the NFL. You're going to take some hits. So this is not a guy that I think is durable to be here 10 years from now anyway, especially at his size. Switching topics, uh, but also staying in. There were two incredible comebacks yesterday. Uh, the Dolphins and what they did, and then uh, Kyler Murray in Arizona's second half is, was 
just as unbelievable, or maybe even more unbelievable. I would argue they, they were down 20 to nothing at halftime. Kyler Murray did some things that I just haven't seen people do uh, at that position. It, it's, he's a video game all to himself. Uh, and so who had the better comeback yesterday, the Arizona Cardinals or the Miami Dolphins? Steve, you fire first. What did I say last week? The expectations and standards that you have of somebody, that's what you think of them. One team did it against the Ravens, one of the most successful, stable organizations in the league the past 15 to 20 years, and a team that is, if Lamar Jackson is healthy, I believe a Super Bowl contender. They did it on the road in Baltimore, one of the toughest places to play, and let's face it, the Raiders have been bad to mediocre for about 15 years. Um, there's no doubt about it. The more impressive comeback was from the team from Miami. I'm going to echo that in, in a little bit different way. First year head coach in Las Vegas. You have a team that's up and down. It's a bad Ra uh, Raiders defense. They're a top 25 defense. They're not very good. Um, and so Kyler had just played terrible for six quarters and then finally turned it on. He was awful in week one and awful in the first half. Whereas you flipped around, you're, you're with an established head coach and a guy that in, in Lamar Jackson that's playing for a contract that's already scored 38 points on you, that's a different kind of comeback. Mm. Did y'all see Kyler Murray and the plays that he pulled off? Did, did, Steve, did you see the plays? I did. <laughs> and look, I read your column and I thought you nailed it. Hammer to head. This guy is Allen Iverson. And as someone that hated but respects Isaiah Thomas, the best pure point guard I've ever seen, not named Magic Johnson, I Look, everyone read that. That's one of Whitlock's best. But with that said, it got me thinking. Some of those plays that you're referring to, they're like a fireworks show. It's spectacular. It's it's bright. It, it leaves you amazed at times. But what are fireworks You don't like for? fireworks? <laughs> you don't like fireworks? This is, the, this, is the, this is the reality with fireworks. Fireworks yeah. are for the 4th of July and other special occasions, right? Or in L.A., Fireworks are for the week of 4th of July and the week after it, as people get rid of them, it's the most, it's, I hate that thing, you gotta smell that stuff the whole week, it's terrible. <laughs> but fireworks are not for every day. The stable quarterbacks are street lights. They're on every night, they're reliable, they're dependable, and they serve a purpose, but they're consistent. So again, what wins Super Bowls at the quarterback position? Fireworks or street lights? What's gonna make your life easier? Streetlight. You ever heard it's of Jason Pierre-Paul? JPP? Okay. Yeah. You ever seen his hand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what fireworks will right. get you. I've seen three fingers, Paul. You can't even high-five the yeah. guy. Now. <laughs> Do not play with fireworks. So, again, give me the streetlights over the fireworks. That's right. Uh, listen, I, I hear both of you, but, but it's like y'all are not hearing my question. Better come back. I didn't say what was more sustainable, what will win out in the long run. I got to watch a fireworks show yesterday in week two, and it was incredible. I can right, remember well, Jason, that fireworks show. Okay, well, let's look at the facts. The Dolphins were down 35-14 with less than a minute to go in the third quarter. So it's basically a quarter to go. It looks like to me you're kind of running out the clock. The Cardinals were down 20 to nothing at the half. So even factually and mathematically, and trust me, I'm Asian, we're good at math, uh, I would say that the Dolphins had a better comeback. Well, 
the other thing is that like I just expect the Raiders to suck even into yeah. the fourth quarter. I think well they still suck and they're going to continue to suck. Whereas I think the Ravens are pretty good and I didn't know that Tua could continue to hit guys 60 yards downfield over and over and over again in the fourth quarter. It was I'm watching. Uh, I finally got back into fantasy football this year, so I'm on the phone with my brother and we're watching the game. And we're like, oh, Tyreek Hill just caught a 60-yard touchdown. Oh, Tyreek Hill just caught a 40-yard touchdown. Oh, the game's tied. I mean, and it just went on. So it, it for me, it was far more unexpected, which made it better. All right. Uh, you guys are both wrong, but I hear you. Uh, we will move on to the Cowboys-Bengals game. Uh <laughs> The Bengals, to me, the takeaway, and it's great the Cowboys won. Congratulations to Cooper Rush, Mike McCarthy, the, everybody in Dallas. Congratulations. You don't need Colin Kaepernick. You got Cooper Rush. Uh, he'll hold things down. Or maybe he'll replace Dak Prescott. Who knows? Uh, but the story, to me, is what happened and what is happening to Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. And he is getting killed. He's getting hit over and over and over and over again. I think the last four games, including the Super Bowl and other, other stuff. He's been getting sacked at least six times uh, a game. Uh, that offensive line, they spent a bunch of money on trying to improve it. Zach Taylor didn't play his first stringers during the preseason. It shows. Uh, Carson Palmer uh, said in February, right before the Super Bowl, last year when the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. It's like, I'm not sure the Bengals are going to do all the things necessary to support Joe Burrow. And he better be asking questions about, you know, are we going to go out and get a, a pass rusher that we need? Should we go out and get a Von Miller? Should we go out and try to get a Chandler Jones? Should, are, are they going to make the right kind of investment in the offensive line? I watched that game last night, and I watched, even go back to the Super Bowl, Go back to the week before when they lost to Pittsburgh. I think there's a chance the Bengals are going to ruin Joe Burrow. Uh, TJ, you fire first. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I, Joe Burrow needs to be in all of our football prayers. Joe Burrow should be in his own prayers because he won't throw the ball away. Uh, have you watched any of these games? I've watched. He will not throw the ball away. It's not in his DNA. He's RG3 in college. He, he just scrambles around forever until he gets pounded. Many of these sacks are him holding it on five Mississippi, six wow. Mississippi, steps up and runs into somebody. So it's not like he's just one, two, three. I, I was a St. Louis Rams fan in the days that Kurt Warner nearly lost his career because his offensive line was so bad. Those are the days of three-step drops and he was still getting pounded, right? I've watched that happen where you're like, this is a guy that can be wrecked by his offensive line. That's not happening to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow caught lightning in a bottle last year, even while he was still getting sacked, his guys were getting open, he was hitting big plays. He had a Joe Flacco-esque Super Bowl run. We haven't seen Joe Burrow on this level, aside from that run, be outstanding like this. Had his injury in the first year, had an incredible run. He may just be coming back to the mean of he needs to learn how to be an NFL quarterback. Got to learn when to step up in the pocket, got to learn when to take the check down, and got to learn to when to throw the football away. And he's not doing any of that. I, I put this on him more than I do the Bengals coaching staff. Mm. Good stuff, TJ. Uh, Steve? Look, I'm not Norm Chow, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn. It, but I've, I've heard quarterback coaches and coordinators say this. Half the sacks or hits that a quarterback takes, it's on them. Just like TJ mentioned, 
there's a timing mechanism for every play depending on the route concept. So every time you're in that pocket, it's like you're pulling that plug on that hand grenade and it's going tick, 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 tick. And you better understand there's going to come a point you're going to get blown up. And look, is Willie Anderson walking through that door? No. They spent some money on that offensive line, but there is no cohesion. But right now, Joey football is Joey Pinata. The next hit he takes, there might be candy splattering out of him. Tootsie Rolls, Snickers, Mart, all that stuff. And But here's the issue, though, Jason. We talked about this last week. The Bengals' run towards the Super Bowl last year was a magical slash fluky one. This should not have gotten out of Tennessee. I've always thought Ryan Tannehill should have gotten a playoff Super Bowl share from the Bengals. Because if he just is as a confident day and protects the ball a little bit better, they don't even get out of the first round of the playoffs. My belief was the Bengals are a talented young group with a nice core that was about a two years ahead of schedule. And as TJ mentioned, they are now just coming back down to earth. And if you look at the last 25, 30 years of the teams that lose the Super Bowl, there's a real pattern of them hitting a, I don't want to call it a hangover, but generally, most of these teams do have a pretty solid decline that's very noticeable. I, I love TJ's take of Joe Burrow perhaps being overvalued. Mm. And, you know, we all love the, the Joe Namath aspect of Joe Burrow. He dresses, you know, he's got all the swag. He dresses for the, the walk-in runway. You throw on some jewelry. You got him pictured with the cigar. And... And I got to say this, if if he were black, we may have been quicker to call out the BS. I think that's right. Uh, around Ooh. Joe Burrow, that he's kind of full of himself. And and TJ, you you kind of opened my eyes in, in real time. Like, mm, maybe I got the wrong narrative here on Joe Burrow. And so, Steve, I'm going to throw it back to you again, because I think you kind of danced around any chance that Joe Burrow is just overvalued? He might be. And by the way, you make a good point. I don't like quarterbacks that try to be cool. I really don't. That's the one uncool position. Generally, your greatest quarterbacks have been a beige spot on a beige wall. Not saying they're not stars, not saying they don't become transcendent, but I want them to be nice and boring. I want them to be Tom Brady. I want them to be Peyton Manning. I don't ever want them to do a fashion show. I don't want them wearing jewelry. I don't want them wearing cool shades. I don't. As Jimmy Johnson once said, don't try to be pretty or cool. Be good. And Joe Burrow is now trying to be a persona or a personality or a brand really early in his career. To me, I think that to me takes away from the focus of the game. And as for Joe Burrow... Uh, I'm with you. Is he a little bit overvalued? I would disagree in one sense. What are the Bengals without him, though, guys? What's the alternative? Let's say he went down right now. Don't the Bengals go back to being the Bengals? He's good, but he's gold chain. He's he's trying to be cool. The cigar thing. This is Joe Burrow is trying really. One interjection. Tom Brady put UGG boots in our lockers one year as a Christmas gift. Okay, so like this is a guy that is Mr. Runway. He gets prettier every year. So Tom Brady. Tom Brady does have a little bit of this as well. This came certainly in the second decade of his career, not in the first. Well, now that I'm just man, you've. I almost want to restart the show and, and, and go all in on Joe Burrow because you've made me think about this guy's been trying to be outspoken on gun violence, on abortion, 
this dude is like a combination of Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick. And when Cap went woke and when Cam was all fashion show, I didn't like it. And and I'm looking at at Joe Burrow be a combination of those two things. And I'm not I don't like it. I, ooh, man, this is a this is a hot take that I may have to get off my chest tomorrow. Uh, thank you, TJ. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, move on to playing off this last game as well. Cowboys get a victory. Uh, they're now uh, one and one. The Giants uh, moved to two and zero for the first time since who knows when. Uh, who's going to have a better season here, the Giants? or the Cowboys. Steve, you go first. Okay, Brian Dable, great job getting the 2-0. I don't think it gets any better. You still have a guy at quarterback who I believe is a bust. I still remember when he got drafted high, I said, wow, that is some of that David Cutcliffe mojo at Duke and, and being associated with the Mannings that got him overdrafted. I look at this guy, and there's no future here. He is the next version of Mitchell Trubisky. His next job will be as a career backup. He'll make a lot of money with a ball cap and a clipboard charting place. It's not a bad living, as I said before. The Cowboys are interesting. Even though they have a quarterback issue and Cooper Rush is not a long-term solution, that press got is going to be back. And again, we can have an argument over whether he's elite or not or just very, very good at the mediocre level. When he comes back, that team will be settled. I still think this is a team that can win eight to nine games uh, in relatively weak division. The Giants, the Giants are just a bad team, guys, that have kind of scuttled by two bad teams to get the 2-0. I, I would not believe in that mirage of the Giants. I'm going to say something without any conviction. <clears throat> I do think Dallas is better positioned uh, because Dak will be back, and the Dallas defense is good. I think the Giants' defense is just so-so. Um, they could be bad, actually. We'll see. The Dallas defense is very good. The one caveat, and why I don't feel great about it, is Dallas is playing a first-place schedule. The Giants are playing mm. a fourth-place schedule. So it's not going to be apples to apples as they go down the stretch here. But if I had to put money on it, I'm going Dallas. I'm going Dallas as well for Micah Parsons and their defense. I think Dallas's defense, you know, I didn't have the courage to make the prediction, but I actually thought Dallas was going to win this Bengals game because I thought they would beat up Joe Flacco. I mean, uh, Joe Burrow. Your other picks were good. Yeah, <laughs> my other picks were. Yeah, the one good pick I did not, I did not mention. I mentioned before that I was totally dead wrong on. Uh, last question, uh, just to bring Lamar Jackson into the conversation before we let Steve go. Uh, better one man team because that that's what Lamar Jackson showed yesterday. I believe Hadley gave us a stat that. 89% of, of Baltimore's rushing and passing yards are attributed to Lamar Jackson. Uh, all seven of their touchdowns, either he ran or threw, uh, that's a one-man team, and it started, it's reminding me of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so who's got the better one-man team, the better one-man offense? Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson. So, uh, and you're talking about the single player that's doing it or you're talking about the team being better single player well it's lamar that part of this is lamar's in a contract year and he's playing like it's in a contract year and every ounce of his attention and focus right now 
is on getting the biggest contract possible. Aaron Rodgers is going on Joe Rogan, and he's on over at Barstool, and he's doing stuff with <laughs> Pat McAfee, and he's just hanging out. Like, he's actually taken to heart his relax, R-E-L-A-X. That's, he's Mr. Cool. Yeah, I lost Devontae. We'll make it work. Don't worry. Uh, the Bears gave him a bit of a game yesterday. If there is a single guy going to do it this year, it's Lamar, and you saw it yesterday. Didn't work out in the end, but it wasn't his fault. He did fumble. That fumble ended up turning the game. Fumble on the goal line. No. Steve? Okay, well, look, TJ says that Lamar can do it all. I'm just wondering, can he play some free safety? Because Ed Reed ain't walking through that door. I mean, that was some – I don't know if Ed Reed – I know Ed Reed's alive. He was still rolling over in his grave. That was some of the worst defensive back play I've ever seen on the back end protecting a big lead. Um, but I'll say this. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers has to be a one-man team. I was really impressed with the Packers running game and their schemes, those misdirections and the, and the counters that they're doing. And they have a bit of a thunder and lightning with Dylan and Jones. They have to reinvent themselves a little bit because right now they do not have a Jordy Nelson type outside. That's the clear number one, certainly not a Devontae Adams. Now, Lazard is back. And trust me, all my Packer fans inundated me after last week's show. Lazard is their number one, and I say in name only. That, that's the way I feel about it. As long as the Packers understand that offensively they have to be a little bit more methodical, and as the great Vince Lombardi said, they create a seal here, a seal here, and they run the ball in the alley and let those two guys kind of bang away and chip away at defenses, I think they're going to be okay. When I think of Baltimore, the nucleus, the centerpiece, is always Lamar Jackson because if he doesn't, I don't think that he has the luxury of just leaning on a running game and saying, I'm going to hand the ball off 30 to 35 times, then eventually take shots as I get single high. I don't think he has that luxury. And like TJ said, this man is playing for a half billion dollar contract. I mean, if there's ever a year he's going to empty the bucket, it is now in 2022. So my answer is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, this may be one of the greatest contract pushes we've ever seen in professional sports. Uh, and, you know, I know he's only two weeks in and it's a marathon, but my God, pay him whatever he wants. And, again, and, and I say that knowing that I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think him running around and doing being a one-man team, I don't think it's as sustainable as Aaron Rodgers' version of being a one-man team for so long. But, I, but I'll say this, pay the man. Pay, pay, even if you pay him on Friday and he gets hurt on Saturday, it was worth it. He, he's he's giving you everything. He's giving you everything. His attitude's been great. He's all in on your football program. If if it never gets any better, it's it. He's different than Cam Newton, who I worried about whether that was sustainable. But I, the whole time Cam Newton was doing it, I, I was like. Who's he really doing it for? What's his real agenda? Is he ever really, and, and I love Cam, but I was like, is he really ever going to win a Super Bowl? With Lamar, it won't be a lack of effort. If he doesn't get a Super Bowl or isn't able to sustain it, it won't be because he didn't prepare or wasn't attempting to be a champion and to be the best player he possibly can be. Pay the man, give him his money. I, I want to interject, actually. <clears throat> He's a one-man team now. If you pay this guy half a billion dollars, how good can you possibly we'll remain be? Remain a one-man team. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll remain a one-man I wouldn't team. pay him for that reason alone. He's, he's 25 years old. He gets crushed. That dude gets hit all the time, and he's not a sturdy fella. 
You know. Oh, he put on weight this offseason. Yeah, he's just 15 weight. pounds of muscle. Yeah, that ain't much. Uh, I mean, he's, look, he, he's going to. Speak for yourself, TJ. I take 15 pounds of muscle right now. <laughs> well, TJ, <laughs> I mean, TJ. Yeah, go ahead. I take two pounds. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's lasted longer than Trey Lance. I, I mean, look, and we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about this later in the week. Um, I hate to be cold-blooded about this. I think the Niners upgraded a quarterback. They just became a Super Bowl contender again. I think that's one of the big stories that we're going to have to look at in the next upcoming weeks, guys. But again, that style of quarterbacking, I also worry about that with Josh Allen, who I love. I think he's truly elite. But TJ makes a point. Anytime that quarterback is forced to run or you have design runs, I think you are taking an unbelievable risk. And if I'm Ken Dorsey of the Bills, that part of the playbook, unless it's the playoffs and I need a first down specifically late in games, I'm throwing all that stuff right out the window. Steve, you almost made it through an entire show without taking over the conversation and taking it in a different direction. But you just did it. You couldn't help yourself. Fearless with Steve Kim. Omaha! Omaha! <laughs> I, I, all of us, we call audibles. This is what we do. One, uh, the, no, one, no, we don't. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Don't put a we in that. You do. You do, but, okay, you know, we one, come to expect it. One last thing on Lamar. His legs are going to go at some point. He, what we saw with Michael Vick. We've seen it with every quarterback that's ever happened. His legs are going to go where he can't run for 89-yard touchdowns like he did yesterday. Mm. He doesn't have the arm to overcome that. So right now, they mm. get to crowd the box, so it gives him one-on-one. So his arm looks pretty good. He's, he's got a really good arm for a running back. That's who Lamar Jackson is. Oh, Pay the man his money. He's worth it. I don't care if he gets hurt. I don't care if he doesn't win another game. He's earned a half billion dollars or whatever they pay these quarterbacks. Get a man his money. Uh, all right. Thank you, Steve. Anything else you want to throw? You got another topic you want to throw? You want to give your House of Dragons take before I let you go? Yes. More Damon. Make it the House of Damon, and I'll speak to you later this week. <laughs> Thank See you, Steve. Steve. All right, uh, YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications, hit subscribe. You can email us and me at fearless at theblaze.com. Uh, Jason Brown, last chance Q B. Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Right now, Kyler Murray is football's version of Allen Iverson. You might read that or hear that analogy as high praise. It's not. It's recognition of Murray's dynamic skill, diminutive size, and uncanny ability to answer the problems he creates for the Arizona Cardinals. A week after an embarrassing performance in the season opener, Murray added two more quarters of uninspiring play to his 2022 resume. At halftime on Sunday, his Cardinals had a real problem. They trailed Las Vegas 20-0. The pint-sized QB with the 2XL contract was a social media laughingstock around 2.30 p.m. yesterday. 
Twitter memes blamed Murray's lackluster performance on a beta test of a new video game, Call of Duty, I think it was. Well, uh, 90 minutes later, Murray was the toast of the NFL. He razzled, dazzled, and rallied Arizona to a 29-23 overtime victory. Numbers don't tell the Murray story. You had to see it to believe it and appreciate it. In a game of giants, the 5'9", 205-pounder made would-be tacklers look like level one ghosts chasing an elite Pac-Man video game player. The two-point conversion run Murray converted early in the fourth quarter couldn't be pulled off in a game of Madden. Watch it for yourself. Murray. Running out of time. On the move. Coming back this way. Dancing and looking and directing traffic. And look at the length of this play. <laughs> Murray no, to the 10, on. to the 5, and he's going to convert it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Later in the fourth, on a play that will be forgotten, Murray escaped the sack, danced around in the backfield, and forced a holding call on Las Vegas that converted a fourth and four. Four plays later, Arizona tied the game with a Murray touchdown run and a two-point seen-eye laser to receiver A.J. Green. Kyler Murray is the answer. He's also the problem. Same as Allen Iverson. You couldn't take your eyes off Allen Iverson on a basketball court. The undersized point guard captured your attention and imagination. You marveled at his skill and fearless approach. You were so impressed with his ability to dominate men twice his size, you overlooked his propensity to create his own problems. Iverson was an underdog. Who doesn't love rooting for an underdog? My problem with Iverson was he could have been Isaiah Thomas. I'd rather be Isaiah Thomas than Allen Iverson. Thomas was the solution, not the answer. Answers are temporary and change depending on the question. Iverson won an MVP trophy, but never won an NBA title. Thomas never won the MVP, but won two titles in the era of Michael Jordan, Maddie Johnson, and Larry Bird. Thomas had a better career than Allen Iverson. Thomas isn't given the credit his accomplishments deserve. Winning two championships in an era when the NBA was heavily invested in promoting Jordan, Magic, and Bird is one of the most impressive feats in modern team sports. I enjoy watching Kyler Murray. I don't envision him winning a Super Bowl. He's too inconsistent. His decision-making is too erratic. He doesn't care about preparation. That's why the Cardinals tried to impose a film study uh, clause in his contract. Like Iverson, one day Murray will be captured in an interview mocking the discussion of practice. We talking about practice, not a game, practice. Murray's career will feature a long list of highlights and Pro Bowl appearances. He might even win MVP one season. Being football's Allen Iverson will make Murray memorable. Same as Iverson. No one will forget Iverson's crossover dribble against Michael Jordan. No one will forget Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue in the 2001 NBA Finals. But Iverson isn't remembered as a winner or a champion. We live in a time when many athletes and fans would prefer Iverson's legacy over Thomas's. Many people prefer style over substance. I'm not one of those people. Iverson underachieved. Kyler Murray is headed down the exact same path. <clears throat> That's my fire for the day. 
Uh, we're going to bring in Jason Brown. You guys uh, heard him last week on the show. You guys remember him from Last Chance U. Uh, this guy's got a natural gift for football gab. He made news last week with his critique of Kyler Murray. Uh, and halfway through yesterday's game, Jason Brown looked like uh, a prophet. I'm wondering uh, what he thought of the second half of that game and what he thought of Kyler Murray's overall performance yesterday. And does it change his narrative or belief or uh, opinion of Kyler Murray? Jason Brown, welcome back to the show. And uh, hey, what did you think of Kyler Murray yesterday? I, it actually solidifies my thoughts and beliefs uh, even more. So it even cemented uh, the proof that uh, he, he, he's a joke. It, it was comical watching that yesterday. <laughs> I, I got to be honest. It was actually comical watching this jitterbug running around back there. Who? This is the thing, Jason. When you run around back there like it's backyard sp- football, it's because one thing, you don't know what you're doing. And it is so evident and clear from a guy that has this long in the game. And I've spoke, I've spoken with several NFL buddies of mine and college buddies. We're all in agreement, man. I mean, it, if you're not a real football guy that understands the intangibles that's needed, the the finite detail that goes into it, you'll just never get it. And I get it. He woos and awes you, and you love him. You're looking around and saying, oh, man, he's shaking this guy. He shook this guy. Let's just see how long this lasts. Because trust me, on those plays you watched, Jason, you just broke down right there. I was literally driving from Oklahoma City to L.A. and laughing it so hard um, watching it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the, the quarterback of the NFL that you're going to pay $200 million to. This is not going to last. And him running around back there, first of all, the Raiders sent two guys. So if you don't know, Max, Max Crosby right there has been on my show. He, he, uh, he got to make that tackle. But – you sent two. The Raiders only sent two pass rushers for a reason, Jason, because they know he can't read coverage. So let's just rush two and see what we can get with them and force something or make him run. And they didn't. And, and that's how freakish of an athlete he is. But he's not a good quarterback. And you, the people don't know how to dissect the two and don't know how to differentiate. And the bottom line is he's not a good quarterback. He's a freak of nature athlete. And I don't think he, this is very sustainable very long. Um, and I can see it imploding very soon. And this is why you lose later on in the NFL when DC's defensive coordinators scheme you uh, when it comes down to the end of the season in playoffs. And that's why you see him flounder towards the end. When you say implode very soon, is that like this year, next year? Uh, defined very soon. What, what do you think the shelf life is, in your view, for Kyler Murray? Well, this is the thing. If you look at the history of him in the league so far, just like Lamar Jackson, just like a lot of these kids are so athletic that it's actually a hindrance. It actually hurts them in the, in the long run, in my opinion. Uh, they all do well early in the season as far as athletically speaking. I'm talking about they make plays because they escape the pocket, defenses collapse, they throw the football over the top, big play, everyone goes, ooh, ah. Everyone on the outside thinks the ocular looks at it like ocular level is like, oh, he's a freak. But he's really missed three receivers wide open, 
during that same time, he's screwed up the protection call. He's missed the read the coach wants him to make the throw on time so we can get better, not digress as the season comes along when defensive coordinators start spying the quarterback and start doing things schematically that is going to affect escaping the pocket like he does now. So I can, I mean, he'll have a good season again, like they all do. But when it comes to the end of the year and the playoffs, they're going to struggle and you're going to see it again. And, 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 and when are we going to realize this is a result-oriented life we live, result-oriented business? Is, are we trying to win Super Bowls or are we trying to play John Madden football during the regular season in a meaningless game versus the Raiders? Because that's what it is, and we're paying this guy. We're going to really pay this guy that much money? And look at Trey Lance, man. I just said it on your show the other day. Josh Allen, Trey Lance, my Murray, they're this far away from being done. And that is a problem. And I, kudos to Jimmy G, man, for showing these young kids how to persevere and not enter the, 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 the so-called transfer portal of the NFL by demanding a trade like the James Harden, Kyler, Kyrie Irvings, and, and these other NFL guys that are starting to do it, even though they're under contract. Um, kudos to him because he just proved to me that you can understand and stick with a team and, and realize uh, that you have an opportunity to come. And now he's going to play the rest of the season. He'll get paid for what he's worth. And, and now that Frisco team is scary. As a Ram fan, this team scares me. Ty, Trey Lance team did not scare me whatsoever. And that's what you don't understand. People don't understand the uh, – the big, the bigger picture. Here's a here's a stat for you, Jason. Seventy-seven percent of the transfer portal kids in college, which he, which is spiraling upwards, in my opinion. I'm gonna call you Baby Steve Kim. Go ahead, keep going. Go ahead, go ahead, Baby Steve Kim. What do you want to talk about? Now this is a stat that's not out there though. Seventy-seven percent of the transfer portal kids out of sixty-six hundred kids in the portal. Seventy-seven percent of the kids who have left their school. Because they did not start. That meaning they lost a job, they entered the portal. 77% of those kids, the starter they left for, got hurt. How about that? You just stay there. Just stick it out, bro, and have some tough skin. You'll be starting. But you now you're in a portal, sitting there, twiddling your thumbs. And that is what people, coaches are allowing it instead of coaching it. Parents are allowing it. And now we're seeing the same thing spiral upwards in the NFL. NFL guys are demanding trades, and I, kudos to Jimmy G for, for for sticking it out. And now he's gonna he's gonna be another he's gonna win another 13 games and and and, and top his 71% NFL win percentage, which is an all time high. Let me ask you this: uh, the other guy that had a great game yesterday and led an incredible comeback, Tua Tungvaluola. I wanted your thoughts on Tua is what we're seeing from Tua, is that potentially sustainable? I got to watch his game because I'm not a believer in Tua. I had to watch, I have to go watch this game. I haven't. I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth. I know he threw for 469 and six touchdowns. Um, so I'll never comment on something that I haven't seen prior. And that's what I, I just avoid. People, people, people always comment and they stick their foot in their mouth. You know I respect how we have- that. Twitter haters hate me and you and talk about it, and they don't know a cl- they have a clue about what we do. I saw some throws he made, so he made a throw to Tyreek. One was late as hell, high. Tyreek made a play, made a play, made a play because he's Tyreek. The other, the two touchdowns that were long balls were so badly thrown behind him, and he had to wait on the football. If you watch it closely, 
he really, really sits back and he really, with that left hand, ball's being delivered in a completely different manner in the NFL. You can ask any receiver. Left-handed balls spin differently. They rotate differently. The whole thing's different. He really, really sits back and cocks balls like he's throwing a grenade, which I do not see sustainable in the long run. Uh, not only for your cartilage in your ribs, which people don't realize is a big thing quarterback-wise. Uh, it starts to wear on you. Not only that, it's just mechanically he is so off center and kilter and base his base is so off kilter that he throws balls like a grenade and you can see him they're late there's they're there he throws so many late balls his arm is not that strong to throw the ball that late he's not aaron Rodgers. um he's not mahomes he's not allen he's not herbert he has to throw the ball sooner start throwing guys open instead of waiting till they're open that is a huge thing in the NFL, and Tua struggles there. But he has Tyreek Hill, who's still the most explosive weapon in football. And when you get him the ball in space. That might be an Alabama thing. That, that where playing at Alabama, get, you get away with some bad habits. Because, you know, receivers run wide open. You're playing with the best guys. Uh, that, that may per- Let me ask you about a quarterback where you don't have to have seen the game uh, in particular, but – this is one I, I have to admit that I think I've been dead wrong on. And Colin Cowher, when I used to work at Fox Sports, was always hammering this guy. Matt Ryan uh, was always hammering, and I was always defending Matt Ryan. I know he's 37, but he looks god-awful in Indianapolis. Uh, he was horrible yesterday. They get crushed by Jacksonville. And, it, it, and I have to eat some crow because I'm just saying, Colin Cowher for years, like, man, Matt Ryan is just overrated, overvalued, and I defended him. He looks like trash right now. What are your thoughts on Matt Ryan? Was he, is he a guy that perhaps has been overrated and got away with playing with Julio Jones and playing in a dome and just, uh, you know, it, it, what, is he overvalued? I'm not going to let these first two games sour my taste. This is the thing. I'm on record on my show saying that I think he's going to have a resurgence year with a team that has a great defense, great run game, and Pittman on the edge, which he did not have yesterday, uh, and a couple other key weapons. I think he can, uh, he can, uh, you know, gain some value from. He didn't have a few of those yesterday. I'm not going to judge the first two games, but I'm on record having the Colts playing Denver in the AFC dang title game. And I am so I'm eating crow like you right now. Colts look horrible. Denver looks horrible. Both coaches look absolutely horrible. Uh, Pickett. That's why, you know, these, t- these guys get titled OC jobs. Pickett was not damn calling no plays in green Bay. And you can clearly see it uh, or hack it. I'm sorry, hack it. So the the play on third and one yesterday with Denver, they run, they run a, Trick speed option play. I mean, come on, man. It's third and one in the NFL. This isn't, you know, San Jose State playing Troy. And, and, and that's what I don't think we understand. Frank Reich has disappointed me, you know, for, for a motivational standpoint as a head coach. You're, you're a manager of men and you're a motivator, number one, or you shouldn't be a head coach. For that, that speech to go in there and say, you know what, it's a new year. Uh, you guys are paying for it. Your money's the motivator. Da, 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 da. I'd have been like, listen here. They beat you last year and kept you out of the damn playoffs. And now let's go get some get back. Nothing was said like that. And it blows my mind. And you go get mollywopped by a team that is probably one of the worst organizations in professional sports, Jacksonville, and 
get blanked. And uh, I'm still going to say Matt Ryan to, 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 to defend Matt Ryan a little bit. So if you don't give up 28 points on defense, he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, too which has put him in the one percentile. Now, if it was a fifth, we'd all be drunk and all that, too. I get it. But he had an opportunity to put that game away in New England, uh, Super Bowl game, but he did torch New England to get him up 28-3, um, that he should be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Now, he's not. So I understand what Colin says, but at the same time, he's like top 10 in yards. He's like top 10 in completions, touchdowns, in NFL history. That is a one percenter. So I don't care about all that other stuff. Yeah, you haven't won one yet, and you look horrible right now. But he's also was in Atlanta. Majority of his career is kind of the Detroit of the South. They weren't very good his years. Uh, besides coming a, a couple years, they had an opportunity to win Super Bowl. Other than that, they weren't very good. And uh, I think the Colts are a team that he can have a resurgence with. So I'm 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 not gonna renege, man. This ain't spades. I can't renege. I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep saying that Matt Ryan's going to have a great year to finish. Hopefully the Colts figure this thing out on defense cuz that's what's putting the offense in bad positions that people don't realize and and get Taylor going cuz the running game was null and void yesterday. It was absolutely zero. And uh if you can't get him going, Matt Ryan has no shot because you can't play action pass, you can't boot naked him, which he's great at. And that's what he does. You can't sit Matt Ryan's 37-year-old stale self in the pocket in the pocket and expect to to dissect things they're not that team they're not built like tampa bay right now i saved the best for last uh lamar jackson yesterday other than a fumble had one of the greatest performances i think you can have at the quarterback position i know they lost the game but i can't blame lamar jackson you're you're critical of lamar jackson but to me, right now, he looks like the dual threat version of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a, you know, a terrific one-dimensional passer uh, who early in his career could run a little bit. Uh, Lamar Jackson is a dynamic runner who can pass well enough. Uh, do you, you care to reconfigure your, your point of view on Lamar Jackson? Uh, the guy's in a contract year and two games in you couldn't be knocking it out of the park any better than he has. Let me give, let me, let me, let me state. First of all, so all these people, cause they, they think I hate on them. I, I love Lamar Jackson. I know his character. I know guys that coached him and recruited him. I love the kid. I, I would have loved to coach Lamar Jackson in college. He's a freak, right? He, he's the guy you can win with in college. He should have won a natty. This is how good he is. Now you said passer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you. I'm going to say he's a thrower. He's not a passer. There's a completely different deal. He's a thrower. His mechanics are probably top, bottom, one or two in the NFL. His platform, his delivery, his feet, everything is, is, is what you do not want. He is just so gifted. Now, he threw a slant route yesterday that I saw that I'm like, okay, finally throws a ball in the meat in the teeth of the coverage, which you do not see him do. Um, he always throws over the top. He always throws quick game. He throws balls over the top after the boxes collapsed because of the run game, and he gets big plays over the top. Yesterday, he threw some balls that I was, I was like, okay, he threw a ball in the teeth of the defense. I'm, I want to see it. I hope Lamar Jackson proves me wrong. I hope he does, man. I'll, I'll eat crow like you say, 
and have no issue saying I was wrong. But to date so far, I have not been wrong with any quarterbacks I've talked about in 20 years. None. Vince Young, <laughs> RG3, uh, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield. I can go on and on. Ryan Leaf. I can go on and on and on. White, black, blue. It don't matter the color. I'm going to tell you the real. And these guys are not sustainable in this NFL thing for long. Because eventually, Lamar Jackson can't keep running this offense, which is going to allow defenses to play normal coverage. When you play normal coverage in the NFL, now you start doing things to defend a passer. And right now, Lamar is a thrower and a runner. So Lamar had like 200 yards rushing yesterday. He's doing college stuff in the NFL level. And that is not sustainable, especially after you pay him $250 million. Now, Having said that, kudos to him, man. I want to just clap it up for the guy because he's betting on himself, which is hard, especially a young brother that's against the world in the end of the day. He don't have an agent, uh, which I think is a mistake, but he's betting on himself. And God dang, if he gets it done, kudos to him. I couldn't be a bigger fan of his doing that. I'm not a big fan of him playing the position of quarterback. Um, he does deserve the money, though, because if Deshaun Watson got it, damn, he, need, he needs to get it. And uh, – He's had no off-the-field issues. He's won an MVP, regardless of what you think about it. He's won one. He's on pace to win a second one right now during the contract year after he told them, no, I don't want that money. So he's betting on himself and putting his money where his mouth is, man, and I, I couldn't be more ecstatic for the kid as a human. As a quarterback, I don't think I don't think it's going to sustain, not for long. Uh, that's what the NFL stands for anyway. I don't think it – I don't see it happening. But the style of Harbaugh's O, style of his play – and along with him not being able to sit in the pocket and dissect coverage on a consistent basis is going to con in, until he can go from thrower to passer, which means, OK, I know where to go with the ball. I know what happens when my first read is dead. I know where to go with number two. I know when to throw the football away and not waste my breath running 40 yards to gain one yard. And if you do those things that he did yesterday, Jason, be honest. How many more years do you think he's going to run 75 yard touchdowns in the NFL? How many more years can he do that? Not very. I, I, I'll be honest. Yesterday, I thought even on that run, I was like, "Oh, I think he may have he may have slowed down a little bit." That safety almost caught him. The DB almost had him. The DB almost caught him. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't JB, think it's gonna next ten away. years. Next ten years, if you had to choose between Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, who are you taking? Oh, first of all, I don't believe. In 10 years, I believe both of them will be afterthoughts and they're either going to be journeyman quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson is going to be the Randall Cunningham of his generation, uh, which is unfortunate unless they change some mechanics on him and see if he can become a passer. He'll be the Randall Cunningham. He'll be a journeyman. Kyler Murray's going to be – he better go play baseball. There's no way in the world. I, I would bet my house on it after watching yesterday's game where all these cats are hitting me up. Oh, the Juco coach, what you feel about Kyler now? It's funny that the crickets come out after the guy wins a game finally. And uh, let's see in the next few weeks what their record is and what happens at the end of the season and how long he plays in the league. I think he needs to go back and play baseball. I just don't see it happening, man. And, and, and I'm not against the guy. I don't know him at all. I don't, I don't really care about uh, liking the guy or not. It's the truth. And watching it yesterday, swear to you, man, that is a legitimate mockery of what the position is in the NFL. And we're allowing that to happen. And defenses will figure it out. 
And you ain't going to be running around like that in the playoffs and making plays. I'm just telling you right now. Not like that. You can make plays in, in the playoffs with your feet. But you think that right there is going to happen and they're only going to rush two guys and you're going to sit back there for 35 seconds? Like, did it not look like a video game? Like, it is a mockery. Oh, what yeah. he's doing. And, and people think he's really doing something good. And I'm just like, dude, he's a freak of nature, a little jitterbug. And I get it. And he's hard to see. He's hard to see. People don't realize when you're 6'8 up front and you're 6'6 on D-line and you got backers in there looking for the cue and he's back there in the pocket and then he escapes, it's hard to find. So they're going to adjust to him and they will figure him out just like they will figure out these other guys. And that's the unfortunate part. Got to become a passer, man. This is still the same league it was 30 years ago. It, it, it's a pocket-driven league by the quarterback that wins games by throwing on time accurately. Jason, when you were watching in amazement of his 45-second run, that yeah. I was thinking, what offensive coordinator in their right mind would want to coach this guy? Because the longer the play goes, the less likely it is that you executed it properly. And that's him all the time. The play just keeps going because he doesn't execute it properly. The guy, Peyton Manning had the ball out of his hands within seconds. Now, he couldn't run from me to you within 10 minutes, so I understand there's a, a different dynamic but the best quarterback get the ball out of their hands and to their playmakers if you're the best playmaker on the team which you're going to have to be if they're paying you 45 million dollars a year then the second you slow down you're worthless and if you're if you're the guy that's got the the uh, clause in their contract that makes sure you're studying the playbook i don't want you i'm gonna say right now hey uh jb hey. i know you watched a little basketball on your day Say it again. What do you think Sorry. of my analogy of Kyler Murray to Allen Iverson? Man, I did not like that analogy. You know why? Because I would take Iverson all day just because he has nuts and guts. Kyler don't have that. <laughs> Kyler don't have no nuts and guts, man. Iverson's got nuts and guts at least. Now, was he a winner? No. Either is Charles Barkley, who I, I think is top 10 player of all time. He didn't get it done either. And either did Dan Marino. And those are great I mean, those are great, great, great players. But like you said, man, I, I do I do like the analogy of Isaiah and him being compared because at the end of the day, I think you said, you know, the answer com uh, compared to uh, the result or I don't know what you said. Um, it's a result-oriented business. It's result-oriented business. It's result-oriented life. We only know what you did lately and what you did at the end of the day when your career ended. Kobe Bryant scored 61 points his last game at whatever years old he was, 40. So you're going to remember that forever. You're going to remember Iverson, like you said, crossing over Lou, uh, practice, all those things, but he never won. And he, and he won game one against one of the probably best teams of all time that I've watched in my career in that Laker team that went 15-1 and one in those playoff run. That was their loss, the game one in Staples Center, and the Lakers go on and beat them four in a row after that and blow them out pretty bad. But Philly team, if you look at that team, they had like Eric Snow, they had like McKee, they had like they, that roster had no business being in the finals. And that was all because of Allen Iverson because he was tough nuts and guts. And I remember Sports Illustrated years ago did an article about the toughest uh, figures in sports. And it was always Iverson and Brett Favre because they never missed the game. They never missed anything. They played everything. You imagine Allen Iverson sitting out for load management like a Kawhi Leonard or something now? Uh, <laughs> hell no. And, and, and I and, how you and gonna say how you gonna say Kyler Murray has no nuts and guts? The guy's a midget. 
He's 200 pounds playing a, a big man's game. How are you going to say he got no nuts and guts? Just because I know certain things he does to avoid certain things that he does, like practice, like certain drills, like certain things. And that's the part about it. A lot of these guys, it's not the same cut from not cut from the same cloth anymore, man. We used to love to practice. Even though Iverson's talking all that crap, we used to love to practice and compete, though, growing up. And I know Iverson wanted to do the same thing. Those things, those every day was an opportunity. These guys don't think that way no more because we already paid them the bag. And we already have given these kids Lamborghini uh, car keys, and they haven't even driven a car yet. They don't even know what they're doing. And now, now they're like, what? How, why, would I, why do I need to go practice hard to get better? And you see these guys that get the money. Go look at the guys that have gotten money over the last few years, basketball included, baseball included. Look at their career. They're, they haven't gotten better. They're growing down because they've already got the money. And they're not out there grinding, being the first one at the office five in the morning in the facility like we used to do. We used to do that because we wanted the bag. And the bag wasn't even close to what the bag is now. So just imagine that times 10. Uh, it's tenfold now, man, on a, in a bad way. And, and these, kids, these cats are getting so much money that how hard do you think that is to go home and say, oh, man, I'm, I'm probably going to – I go to Dubai tonight. We'll get on the private jet and fly to Dubai. I'll, I'll be back for practice. We'll get. We'll, I'll get with you guys, wide receivers. We'll throw. We'll throw when we get back. I should. Back in the day, let's meet at the high school. Let's get it going. Tom Brady's forty-four years old, meeting these dudes at the high school. Like he wants to win. He's taking the 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 sacrificial lambs approach. And all right, I'll make my roster better by taking a pay cut. Do you think these cats are doing that nowadays? Who's doing that? These cats want their money, their big money. I get it. CT scaring folks, all these different things. And look, man, I get all that. But at the end of the day, we're, we're evaluating and judging these cats on greatness. There's not a great quarterback in the NFL right now besides those last few three or four guys, man. Rodgers, Brady. Uh, and and Rodgers, man, if he can't get another Super Bowl, he's not in my uh, Mount Rushmore. I, he's, he's the number one ball spinning quarterback of all time elite passer of all time not 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 in my top five as far as quarterback because at the end of the day you're, you're judged by wins and losses and that winning that lombardi trophy is what it comes down to and uh the rams can get one stafford i'm telling you right now i'm putting stafford above aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Stop it, Jimmy. Hey, look, hey, you're a natural. Everybody. You're you're one of the most natural broadcasts. If you got some work ethic as it relates to this broadcasting thing, uh, one day I'm gonna be working for you. Because uh, hey, you got opinion. Take Matthew Stafford out of Detroit last ten years. How many rings you think he could have had? No, I don't care where he went. We don't know. He just had one of the best playoff runs of all time last year, season one with a team that has some competency behind it. And, and, and look what he did. If he wins another one this year, people have to question, shoot, could he have won a couple more and been in the Hall of Fame already with three or four rings? Because I'm telling you, Matthew Stafford's a top five ball spinner of all time too. As far as straight skill set, Matthew Stafford is legit. Now, you got to put that in your question box, man. Hey, is this guy really – can he be better than Aaron Rodgers? I mean, Aaron Rodgers can't beat Frisco. I mean, come on, man. I don't know. Just Thank saying. you, JB. Appreciate Great you, job buddy. as always. Appreciate it. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag. Shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, I'm going to put House of Dragon to bed. Next.
right, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to a funeral, a special funeral for House of the Dragons for this show. I'm done with the show. I'm over it. It's terrible. It sucks. Uh, I don't like anybody. People that are arguing with me over Twitter, they're dead wrong. Uh, but I could be wrong. So that's why we're having this last special edition of the House of Dragon conversation. I'm going to give Jill Savage and Tiffany Odom and TJ Moe, who's in studio, they can try to talk me out of it. Uh, I don't think that they can. The show sucks. It's terrible. Uh, it's woke. I put this out over Twitter this morning. People started losing their mind. It ain't woke. Wait, it's not woke. Blah, blah. I'm like, yes, it is. And, and it's like, people don't even understand what woke is. And maybe I'm wrong, and I don't know what woke is. But over Twitter, I put out trying to explain to people, like, first, we got to agree on what woke is. And here's my definition of woke. Uh, I think woke equals nihilism. House of the Dragons is the most nihilistic show I've ever seen in the history of TV. Period. End of story. The whole thing is, is, is a assassination, an annihilation of the patriarchy. That there's no uh, redeeming qualities or value in a patriarchal world. It's, 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 it's a Russian doctrine is basically what we're watching and the patriarchy is evil, and it produces all these evil people, and I just don't find any value in continuing to watch or, and particularly talk about it, because I, I may check back in in the hopes that maybe it'll get better, because there's so little TV that I like uh, and that I find any good. Uh, this ain't it, though. Me just sitting on, coming on every week, talking about a show that I don't believe in or think expresses some kind of evil uh, worldview. I'll find better things to do, but I'm gonna open up the floor because I come in this morning and I tell Tiffany I hated last <laughs> night's episode. <laughs> it was my favorite episode. <laughs> it was my favorite episode. How? She has Just very specific reasons. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you're <laughs> Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. Go ahead. it touched on passion and some sort of kind of love, even though you say they can't love, love each other because they only got together one Who? time. Who are you talking about? The night in Oh, Sir Renara. Christian or Carson. What? He confessed Christian his Cole. love. Oh, yeah, because and they had a one-night stand hookup. You know what my mother called, called that? And I hope Pastor Anthony, you know, Christian people, turn your, the volume down. My mother <laughs> called a tender dick. Anything, anything he stuck his dick <laughs> in, he falls in love with. She calls that a tender dick. I, I, look, you're sitting there shocked. You work at a bar, Tiffany. I mean, I mean some, people, with Steve some people believe in love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't fall in love with the queen to be? There's not a whole lot of love involved. There was, he, he was handpicked. The only good-looking guy on the entire show was handpicked out, and then he fell in love after she came home after trying to bang her uncle when it didn't work, and then she came to bang him. Yeah, that's love. But then he also said, oh, queen to be. Don't be the queen to be. Come away with me instead. Give up everything that you have coming to you, which is literally the entire known world to them at that point, right? Like, that's it. That's as high as it gets. Hey, leave that and just come be with me. That's what, which I thought that's that's what, what she's what she trying stood to say for, like romantic. Right? Well, that's what she told us earlier in the show. Yeah. She said that to She went him. against everything. Tiffany, do you believe in love at first sight? I mean, I'm a hopeless romantic, so... 
Mm. That's a hard question for me because oh. I live in a fairy tale world sometimes when it comes to love. Mm. But right. I will say, well, go ahead. I was not a Damon fan, and then this show made me a Damon fan because he is like the ultimate bad boy. So you like bad guys and you believe in love at first sight. Yeah, that's probably why I'm not so, married. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be married to Mike Tyson somewhere. <laughs> O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Basically, we're all where Steve Kim was that first episode review that we did where Steve was like, hey, Team Damon, let's go. Tiffany is now Team Damon. Oh, yeah, we, I'm Team Damon. He's the only halfway developed character. In exactly. The that's why that's why you True. like him he, a little. He, episode four, when he came out and he... He was upset that he was getting help from the king to go fight the war that he wanted. So he actually went out and did a man thing. He's like, I'll go handle this right now. He beat up the guy that gave him the message and he went out and he picked a fight and actually brought a scalp home and added a sword to the, he's actually done some manly things, right? Yeah. He's crazy and corrupt and doesn't have any rules. He plays a version of the Joker or whatever, but he's, I, that part's likable to me. At least, at least he's got some like masculine qualities. The rest of these guys are losers. He's got masculine and he's got passion. I mean, he's a man. He walked up to Renara and, was that how you say her name? Yeah, Renara. And grabbed her face and was like about to make out with her. Obviously, we didn't get to see the hot part. Well, he doesn't make out with anybody eventually. He flames out. He's got ED or something. So. <laughs> but you still can make out with somebody. <laughs> he's got little blue pills he's got back passion in medieval days. He's got passion Sorry. and drive. Sorry, Damon. I'm sure they got some kind of little potion they can cook <laughs> up for him to help him get over his ED. But uh, does anybody, so Tiffany, you liked last night's episode. I thought it was the best episode so far, the wedding scene, yes. There was also everybody's you, underdeveloped. They just pop up out. Oh, here's Damon's wife. Who yeah. we were five episodes in, yeah. and she's the first scene of last night's episode. And I'm like, I, I spent the whole time trying to, who is this? Mm. Is this his old girlfriend? Oh yeah, it was confusing. Well, yeah, and 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 then did he kill her? I mean, they pick up everything's is like implied in, yeah. rather than totally understood, totally developed. I did, and I, you know, you come to find he killed her, so I guess so he can get with his niece or whatever. But again, develop that a little more, particularly, this isn't Game of Thrones where there was 20 different islands and yeah. kingdoms that they were visiting. They focused on, on a handful of people, and none of them are well-developed, in my opinion. I, I can't relate or figure out other than they're all evil. But Jill, I mean, am well, I wrong for... They're not well-developed. The they are all pretty much evil. And can we get some attractive people on the show, right? Like, that's why we're all like, oh, hey, look at Damon. There might be something interesting. David, or... like, he's a four, but he's standing next but to a bunch exactly. of twos. So it's like... He was never attracted until last night. Oh. It was the whole bad boy thing. Can I also give you the, so, so you just, you liked the wedding. But the wedding, this wedding scene, compare that to the red wedding. And oh, how not terrible this was. It was terrible. That's what I'm, I'm getting at. Like this is this how far have we dropped our I've standards here? I've never said here? this show was great, but that was the best episode of the five <laughs> that we've had to watch. That is probably true. It gave us the most, at least, yeah. to talk about in that episode last night. And you look at it, and we've been talking off air about the king, and and looking at him. And this is something that we've talked about every episode of the king being very weak. He's always injured. He's never really in charge, always being undercut by everyone around him. And then last night, he's coughing up blood, which, again, they don't have little blue pills, and they probably don't have anything to clear out the blood in your lungs back Leeches. in the day. 
Leeches, they just drop leeches into your stomach. You're going to die, but we've, we've been told. Episode after episode after episode, they're alluding to, oh, the king is going to die. You better, you better get your baby ready to be king. You better get ready, you yeah. know, take a, take a husband now if you're, if you're, you know, the princess in waiting. Like, you have, to, you have to prepare for this. But it's all leading somewhere that we never get to. And it, it feels like, okay, you have, to, you have to actually kill off the king at some point. Well, my problem with the whole wedding thing, and, and not disagreeing with your point, but my problem, none of it made sense. Was that a wedding or was it an announcement of a marriage? And then all of a sudden they flip to the wedding and I read either read afterwards or see in the after show explanation that they just hurried them through a marriage yeah. out of frustration. But again, none. if you're not reading or listening to commentary, you can't understand this show. Yeah, we need the appendix. But that, that is what he was trying to do with seven days of games for the wedding. That was the big feast to, to kick everything off. And then because, you know, we, we have to kill a couple people because it's a Game of Thrones wedding. They said, oh, we're now going to just have a shotgun wedding here tonight. We're going to make sure that this happens and the two families come okay, together. That's where I got lost because I, I heard but the same thing as that. You make a great point because they don't fully explain that in the show. Jill, you made a good point when we were talking off air that, that when the queen came in late and she was wearing green, yes. that's the kind of stuff that I like. It's like, you don't need to explain that to me and then later on we can figure out, or if you read the books, why was it important that she was wearing green? Because in her family, you wear green when you're going to war and she was going to war now with the princess. That's the fun stuff. That's what the old Game of Thrones stuff did. But they're not even explaining the most basic storyline. So it's like you're confused, you're confused, you're confused, and then something interesting happens. And then you're confused some more, confused some more. So it's like the storytelling here is so bad you can't keep up. Here's what great TV does and what Game of Thrones and other great TV does is the green dress deal should have been mentioned in episode one or two and then it happens in episode, and you go, oh, oh, that's right. And then you put it all together. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the green dress, I didn't even understand why, why, I was like, why is she showing up late? I'm sure this had to be on her royal calendar. Uh, <laughs> she's showing up late. He's right in the middle of starting to give his speech and here comes the queen walking in. And, and I just didn't understand. I didn't, when Damon just showed up and w- walked in, it didn't make sense to me, and I could oh, hold on. Now he's got a seat at the table, but Tiffany had explained I, they brought the seat up or whatever. I this thought was he was coming banished. in to get his woman. Well, wasn't he banished before that? Yeah, yeah. Says, but he I don't wants see it again. to. He wants to marry her. I got. But, but yeah, you don't just walk back into the king's court though and say that's. Well, my he was seat. taking what he wanted, so that's why I told you that's when he got on my radar. But, he but he's been banished, <laughs> and again, just like, in, and look, this is two years, 200 years in advance, maybe the security system wasn't as tight 200 years ago, but <laughs> my understanding, Game of Thrones, like, some guy that's been banished, the king's guard would have been like, hey man, what are you doing here? You don't have access to this, let me check your badge. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so, but he just walks in and everybody, straight up, this, straight up to yeah. the table. Yeah. Not the like, table. hey, you're sitting over here in the cheap seats, just right up to the main set. None of it explained. And, and I just don't understand how none of this can be explained. It's like a puzzle that they want me to figure out every Sunday. And I'm like, nah. It's a puzzle to. that you're missing pieces to. Yes. 
right? You get to the end of the puzzle each week and you're like, but I still have five pieces that aren't here. Are they under the table? Where are they? And you do have to do extra reading. So to that point, yes, they, they need to do more. You got to watch the post show yeah. to understand the Correct. show. And it's, that's lazy, right? But, and this is where I'm going to defend them. To me, that, that's, been that's become commonplace in TV now, that uh, all of these shows, because this was my problem with Breaking Bad the last couple of seasons of that. It's like Vince Gilligan would talk to his friends in the media, and he would explain the episodes to people, and the media critics that I would follow, they'd have all these detailed explanations. Here's what's really going on in Breaking Bad, and it would elevate those writers. I can't remember the guy that either work for Grantland or The Ringer or whatever. But the writers would, would all be in and they'd be, oh, that's the expert you gotta read and it would elevate that person's profile. But I'm just like, what happened to TV where I didn't have to? The Wire is a very complex show. I didn't have to read the post-show deals to understand what was going on. The Sopranos. I didn't have to go read a bunch of stuff to understand what was going on. These shows now, and to me it started with Breaking Bad, people get very upset when I criticize Breaking Bad, but um, it started with Breaking Bad where it's like, well, reading this extra stuff is part of watching and enjoying a television show. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And I'm fine with that so long as it's the granular stuff. Like the people who read the books had a much deeper understanding of Game of Thrones than I did. But I still understood Game of Thrones. I, it could stand alone without it. You, you alluded to this a minute ago. Give me breadcrumbs. I want to see something that I know is going to come up. Like, store that away. That's going to come up later. Those two people don't get along. But all it is is, like, you, you have very little character development. You're like, Damon's evil. He plays by no rules. That's all we got about him. The, the um, princess is just vain and conceited. That's all the rules she plays by. And so it's just going to be whatever's beneficial for her. The king's weak, and anybody he talks to will talk him into whatever they want him to. So it's like, that's all the character development we have. And so there's nothing complex. It's not a thinking man show. And we were expected or expecting that coming off Game of Thrones. Coming off Game of Thrones, there was always some other, oh, where's this kingdom? The seven kingdoms. and. Uh, what about the landing? And it's, I was always trying to piece stuff together. It's like even at the beginning, you're like, how does this map make sense? And I don't have to do any of that now. I'm just waiting for something stupid to happen. I can't remember this about Game of Thrones or not, but take Tyrion's character. Wasn't it in season one, didn't we know that his mother died during childbirth? Yeah. And that was mm -hmm. part of the reason his dad hated him? It, besides the fact he was an imp and wasn't the most manly person, but it was like, my wife died. And it, that's, I don't under, what made Damon evil? Just being a Targaryen? You know, give me some little background on why he's the way that he is. His brother, why his brother so weak? Give me some background. There, that's what's missing from the show. Well, and HBO says because Rhaenyra is a bisexual is kind of what we're assuming now with her girlfriend at the very beginning. And yeah. then of course the, the night that she's sleeping with. That's her redeeming quality, right? She's going to be the queen, but hey, don't worry. She can, she can love whoever she wants to, except for the gay man that she's now married to. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. It, and the gay guy's black. <laughs> they had to do it. I, I didn't even, that, that was probably my first of many last straws last night was just like, I know that 
pop culture has decided black is the new gay or gay is the new black or whatever, and I'm just not on board with it, and, and it, it just irritates me. There, there's not a television show. You can go back to one of my favorite shows, The Shield, and uh, that doesn't have a black gay character. I, I don't know why I can't think of The Shield, uh, the cop, uh, the, the black cop that was gay in The Shield. I still love the show, but it, it, every show has that, and I was like, here we go. Even <laughs> 2,000 years ago, we were the black <laughs> people, and like, you take Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm, I'm being very profane today, I apologize. But that's what this show, this is where this show takes me, is because is, even Game of Thrones, they had the eunuchs. The only black characters on Game of Thrones, they were all eunuchs, they were all ballless men and and now they done added something and and it, I just sound the old. least manly thing that's happened in 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 what is maybe the most feminine show on television right now was the gay black guy crawling over to the guy that had just been beaten by an actual man and that laying was, on top of that, that was the least pathetic. manly thing that's happened on television in my life that was bad yeah why was that bad they loved each other I'm, I'm asking. They, I'm asking almost sincerely. Well, I mean, you see your lover get killed, and you're gonna cry. Yeah, it's gonna cry, but he shouldn't have done that. Sure. It, not in those times. What? That he's gonna be. He wasn't really forward? thinking this through. When he we was started just thinking he shouldn't have done that, I would have started with letting that dude enter him from the rear. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I would have started then, crying when he dies. I see a guy get killed, I may cry. Well, you're at your yeah, that wedding. Was, like he you're, said, that was super fun. No, that wasn't his wedding. That was fair. That was the first day of the first a day party. of the game. Got it. You're yeah. being, you are being, uh, it's an organized wedding. Yes. Right? Your friend gets killed. Let's it take, was wedding let's week, we're all partying. Your be, that's the best man at his wedding. He got killed. Yeah. I would have been fighting the guy that just killed him. I yeah. would have been crawling over, crying over that his was, dead body. That was a very feminine trait. Well, it's, it's Hillary Clinton's gay son. It ain't more show, feminine so than letting him enter you from the rear. Trust me. <laughs> I'd rather cry than let the dude enter me from the like, rear. He was like crawling to him. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you, if, do you want the masculine response? You go take out that night. Yeah. That's the masculine response. It's not a crawl while you're crying They've over a bloody body. They've already identified the guy's not very manly. They've already told you that. Yeah, well, that was my point. I said, this is the least masculine scene that we've had. <laughs> <laughs> he followed through. Well, I'm just glad they didn't show the more or the less masculine scenes. Anyway, they tried to. Weren't they, they on top they of did each throw other? In, they yeah. did throw in some gore. Did you see that guy's face? Yeah, uh, yeah, I saw that. I don't know what I'd I'm rather doing. see that than the makeout scene we saw about Oh, I agree. That was, I mean, the detail in the gore on this show is really good. The graphic. As like a makeup artist, you appreciate that. I, I, that was a, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Stuff like that stands out. Like I, I told I you, I like the, the crab scene where they're like eating on their legs. It looks so real. They do a good job with that. Do you know how much money they wasted on this show? Like, oh. do you know how much money that, what are that CGI, whatever, on those dragons? Like every time a dragon comes on screen, it's like 10 million, but I haven't, I know this from the regular Game of Thrones. The amount of money they have to have wasted on an unbelievably bad show is hundreds of millions of dollars. But they will argue it's not wasted, and to me it speaks to the importance of the show. They know young people are watching, they know how important it is to culture, and there's a message they're trying to get across. And again, this is why I'm out on the show. And the message is there's no redeeming value to the patriarchy, period, 
in the story. That's the point of this show. It's nihilistic. It, there, there's no redeeming value to a social order. That's what they're saying. There's nothing good here. It's basically what they're saying to the world, and they want young people to believe. This life, this world that they've constructed, there's nothing good here. And there's, there's man hasn't produced anything of any value is the point of this show. Nihilistic, that's, that's the woke perspective. Now, are they, and they're also lacing it with, the white man has not produced anything of value, but overall it's just man hasn't produced anything of value, and, and I reject that. And they're letting the main character and the princess go into an open relationship before she's even married, right? They've discussed having the open relationship of, oh, I mean, marriage, who cares? What? We're just going to do this because we have to do this, but not because it's a real, a real thing. That's why I would say, and I, I'm calling it nihilistic, but it's a satanic show. Yeah. They're basically saying, you know, with, with everything in the Bible, oh, man was created first, he should be the leader, man should marry off to a woman and, and develop a family. They're arguing all of that is BS and, and it's the ruination of the world. And just throw all of those rules out and young girls, if you really wanna be free, bang whoever you want. Young boys, if you ever wanna be free, bang whoever you want. Any of this order that's been created by the Bible, by religious people, throw it all out the window and just do what thou wilt. This Aleister Crowley may as well have written this show. <laughs> I didn't put this fully together until you started talking there, but even the, because there were articles we read after the show about, oh, HBO lets homophobia rear its ugly head. Smokescreen. Well, maybe, but also, is it just a continued development to show how evil the white man is? Because he's the one that, he beat up and killed one of the two gay guys in the show. As soon as he found out he was gay, had to kill him. And so the point is to show the victimhood. And that's why this is my funeral for House of Dragons. <laughs> Things would have to take a dramatic pivot. No one, I agree. No one's trying to talk me out of it. Tiffany just enjoyed last night's episode, but I you're not trying to talk. I don't me think out it's like it. a great show. It's, uh, but I. It's not Yellowstone. It's, it's not, not eighteen eighty three. Yellowstone. Yeah. We need to it's talk about that. It's not even the What is that? November fourteenth. <laughs> yeah. What you said? November thirteenth. I think. Or thirteenth. Yellowstone. But yeah. who's counting? It's woke too. But I'll explain that to you another Kevin time. Costner. <laughs> Kevin Costner and Rip. Kevin Costner is the hottest and. Rip has, I like, I like what he stands for. You like what Rip stands for? I just like the way he talks to a I, woman. Yeah. I, I can't stand Beth. I know you can. I can't stand her. She's <laughs> over the top. Anyway. <laughs> All right, we're done here. Play tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving all the seeds when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I 